What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to Season 6 of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a fascinating journey into the lives of top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories many you've never heard before. During Season 6, you'll hear the likes of Pat Fitzgerald, Ron Rivera, Lisa Byington, Porter Moser, and many, many more. I'm your host, George Hoffman, and please follow this podcast through our partnership with Sports Media Watch. You can find them and this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is proudly sponsored by Vienna Beef, makers of the world-famous Chicago hot dog and a landmark institution since 1893. Find them at ViennaBeef.com. And by Dynamic Manufacturing, awarded the General Motors Supplier of the Year 23 times. This family-owned business can be found at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. This week, we feature Chicago Bears Hall of Famer and a member of the 1985 Super Bowl championship team, plus a very popular broadcaster, Dan Hampton. So Hallis came in, we kind of, you know, Arkansas, yeah. I, anyway, I said something like, uh, well, you guys get a lot of snow here. And, you know, Hallis wasn't one to kind of make small talk. He goes, yeah, we do. He goes, the difference between a snowman and a snow woman? And I said, no, sir. He said, snowballs, grow some and you'll be fine. And I, <laughs> and I said, yes, sir. And he got up and walked out of the room. And I, I just said, hey, welcome to Chicago. Dan Hampton was part of arguably the most successful and ferocious defenses in NFL history. He's a Hall of Famer, having played his entire 12-year career with the Bears. Since his playing days, he's been a co-host of Pro Football Weekly, a very entertaining game day analyst on radio, raising funds for NFL retired players, and when it comes to nicknames, this one really fits. Danimal. So, Dan Hampton, tell me a story I don't know. Well, thank you, George, for having me on the program. I, I will, I, why don't we start with uh, the nickname? So in 19, I think it was 1982, we, uh, you know, it was Dick's first year. It was a strike shortened year, but I was, uh, I was playing pretty well. And I remember we were down in Tampa Bay and uh, this is long before Tom Brady showed up in Tampa. So we usually had our way with Tampa, but anyway, we're, we're down there and we're, we're kicking their ass pretty good. And, uh, Pat Summerall and John Madden were uh, doing the game. And the week prior, they had done a Dallas Cowboy game. And my buddy, Randy White, he and I, you know, obviously were 
you know, buddies in the Pro Bowl, and we both played defensive tackle and both in the NFC. So anyway, long story short, uh, Randy had a nickname called the Manster, and that somebody had gave it to him. And anyway, Madden was at the end of the, you know, like in the fourth quarter, he's talking, he goes, you know, Randy White is the Manster, then this guy is the Danster or something, or the Danimal. Affectionately known as Danimal among the Chicago faithful, Hampton earned the starting job as a rookie in 1979, a position he would not relinquish until he played in his third decade of duty. In a franchise renowned for its great defenses, Dan Hampton ranks as not only one of the all-time great Bears, but as one of the all-time greats to ever play the game. I wish I would have went and trademarked that nickname. <laughs> Because guess what? I, what is it? Jello or somebody's got the Danimals now? I, it, 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 it's a multi-million-dollar uh, product. I wish I, I wish I would have been smart enough to know, you know, to go and and uh, trademark it, but I didn't. But uh, anyway, it's uh, it's been a uh, a moniker I've I've proudly had for shoot forty years now. That reminds me, of my interview with Fred Mitchell, the longtime writer for the Tribune who, as you may or may not know, developed the kicking net back in the early 70s and never trademarked it. Imagine how much money he lost on that deal. Unbelievable. And you know what? And they say football players are smart guys, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, there were plenty of good nicknames to go around on that group of players that eventually won the Super Bowl, Super Bowl Twenty. There was the Punky QB, Samurai Mike, Sweetness, Mongo, the Hitman, and on and on. That was a very celebrated group, Dan, of individuals that formed some very, very good teams. What was it? Uh, the year 2019 was the 100-year uh, anniversary of the NFL. And so there was a lot of, uh, you know, greatest teams of all time, greatest players and all that stuff. We were named the greatest NFL team of all time. And uh, that, that was really pretty impressive in, 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 in a lot of regards. Now think about this. For 100 years, they've played this game. For 100 years, they've kept score. For 100 years, they, uh, they made a list. And to be at the top of the list is pretty good. And, you know, I, I, I played college ball in Arkansas. And mm -hmm. that Orange Bowl team that we beat Oklahoma was named, was voted the greatest Razorback team of all time. So I don't know, I, I hate to say it, but hey, to be on the greatest Razorback team of all time and the greatest NFL team of all time, that's, that's a real, real uh, nice little uh, item on the list of accomplishments. I totally agree with you. And for, for younger people who really didn't experience Super Bowl XX, which is now 36 plus years ago, I don't know if they realized, other than losing to Miami, you ran the table, but it was in the playoffs where you shut out the Giants, the Rams, and gave up 10 points to New England. And yes, I've argued before that this is likely the greatest team in NFL history, and that's been borne out. Yeah, um, you know, and, and again, it was a, a list of, uh, you know, 400 sports and media personalities, blah, 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 that voted on it. So, you know, it's not a Chicago Homer deal. So, but, you know, and you brought up the uh, the fact that 
we gave up 10 points in the uh, Super Bowl, except Numbnuts, you know, McMahon fumbles the ball in the third play <laughs> of the game, and now they got it at the 23. So, I mean, they get a, they get a crib shot field goal. In fact, it was actually Walter Payton who fumbled the ball and not McMahon. The long and short of it was, uh, you know, there was a trash touchdown late in the game. But uh, think about that. There is still that tinge of sarcasm in your delivery about Jim McMahon. The two of you weren't exactly what you would call buddy-buddy. We were for a long time. You know, we were through the Super Bowl. And I got it. He, You know, he wanted to be uh, Jack Nicholson with a helmet. I got it. He wanted to be, you know, this this you know, leering, uh, iconic kind of figure. That's all cool. But guess what? Life goes on. And a lot of hard work has to be done in the offseason to prepare for the regular season. While he's, uh, you know, enjoying himself, I, I, I've got to go to the hospital and get my knees worked on and then have to be on crutches for two months and to rehab and then get and prepare for the next season. All these different things, you know, but, you know, he did not prepare. And so he'd show up in camp and be out of shape. And then, you know, after about two days of throwing, oh, his shoulder's bad or, oh, his, uh, you know, knee went out. I'm just saying, once you win the Super Bowl, that's when everything gets real. That's when everybody's going to put you at the top of the list. That's when everybody's going to come, you know, looking to take you down. And that's when you need to be at your best. And, Unfortunately, in the NFL, how many uh, how many Super Bowls would the uh, Patriots win without Tom Brady? Oh, let me guess, none. Well, quarterback's pretty important, and with with that certain notoriety comes responsibility. And unfortunately, he was never healthy enough to help us again. And uh, what could have been a dynasty, you know, is now one of those deals where everybody kind of goes, oh, wow, one-hit wonder. And it's a shame. You know, when, you, when you're 27 years old, you, you don't realize, hey, it goes fast, and it, it, there's, there's like a, a moment in time. And uh, just like my golf game, I'm not the same player I was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. It's, it's, it, it, there's a point where you've got to say, okay, I have to, to, to squeeze the opportunity and, and do the best I can. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, it was it was what it was. And, uh, you know, we, we won 14 games the next year without a uh, without a starting quarterback. It's, it, it tells you how good that team was. This podcast is going to drop in late September as the Bears are just in the process of a rebuilding program. What are your thoughts about the new management team? And do you think that Justin Fields can develop into a franchise quarterback? Yes. Love his attitude. I mean, he got Nagy dealt him from the bottom of the deck last year. And, you know, he was kind of forced in and uh, never was given the opportunity to look. Everybody has certain gifts and certain talents and you have to utilize them. The smart coaches like Luke Getze, the new offensive coordinator is going to maximize Justin Fields abilities and i'm just saying it's not that hard you, you find out what your players can do and you put them in a position to do what they do best anyway i think he's going to be a terrific player the rpo all the you know he just got to be able to process quicker 
but it's a new offense. It's a new, it's a new world. And there's going to be a point where he essentially goes click it off. I remember my rookie year, it was about fourth or fifth week in the, of the season. It all, it was like something clicked in my brain and it, what used to be hard now became easy. Well, this is a new management team as well. And I think everybody knows it's, it's a rebuilding process. Uh, what are your thoughts about them? No, it's good. Hey, guess what? They, you know what? Th their whole premise is a long time ago, I, I read a book uh, called Endurance. It was about Ian Shackleton, uh, the guy that took a boat to the South Pole and wound up stay, living off uh, seals for a year and a half trying to survive because they got frozen, the boat got crushed. And it was, it, it, it was, it was an amazing story. Well, it's kind of like they put it in, in, in the newspaper in London, Shackleton put a wanted men for hazardous adventure, low pay, certain death. In other words, cowards need not apply. Well, that's kind of what they're doing. They're saying, hey, we're going to start all over. We got rid of our best defensive player. We got rid of our best offensive player. We got rid of the head coach. We got rid of our quarterback. We, we don't care. We're going to knock the shit out of people. And guess what? At, at the end of the day, when people play us, they're going to say, wow, these guys, they got something. I got to tell you, I, I, I was very impressed. I, I was no fan of John Fox. I was no fan of Mark Tressman. I damn sure wasn't a fan of Nagy. But I am a fan of this guy. It's it's about, hey, you know, we're not looking for hostages. We're looking for volunteers. And guess what? They got a bunch of kids that are knocking people around. I like it. I like a lot of it. Vienna beef, two words synonymous with hot dogs. They're the home of the Chicago hot dog and an institution since 1893. If you've had a hot dog, chances are it was from Vienna. And did you know there are more locations selling Vienna in Chicago than McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's combined? There's nothing like biting into a juicy and delicious pure beef Vienna hot dog dragged through the garden, which includes yellow mustard, onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and some celery salt. And oh, those Polish sausages dripping with flavor. And look for the spicy smoked sausage available in your local retail stores. It includes a perfect blend of seasonings such as crushed red peppers and brown sugar, creating a bold and zesty taste. Vienna products are available in restaurants, grocery stores, and entertainment venues such as the ballparks, cups, and socks, stadiums, museums, and zoos. Plus, you can purchase them online, coast to coast at ViennaBeef.com and on Amazon. And remember, Vienna is not just hot dogs and sausages. Look for their farm makers' chili, mini bagel dogs, condiments, and classic deli meats. Take it from a guy who was weaned on, then sold Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Check them out at ViennaBeef.com. Before we go any further, I want to compliment you on your choice of photos for our graphics. It's you with your arms around the aforementioned Steve Mongo McMichael, who is battling ALS. It's very touching, Dan. It's a very revealing photo. Thank you for it. And why did you pick it? Everybody's got a picture of me, you know, happy, jumping around, playing football. But this is real life. And... You know, uh, when Mongo showed up, they sent me to the airport to pick him up when we signed him. So from day one, he's kind of been my wingman, right? And uh, 
to see what has happened over the last two or three years is just, it's beyond belief, heartbreaking. But I've got to tell you, nobody knows what you would do if you were in that position. But his will to live is amazing. I would have tried to figure a way out, I think. I'm just telling you, honestly, I, I don't know if I could go on like that, but his will to live is is amazing. And, you know, it breaks my heart to go to see him, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. You got to do what you got to do. And uh, that picture kind of sums it all up. You know, he really deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He is the Hall of Fame vote in Chicago. Unfortunately, and I really hope this does not happen, Mongo could wind up in the Hall of Fame posthumously, and that would be sad. You made the Hall of Fame, albeit it was kind of touch and go. Tell me a story I don't know about that process. You know, after five years, your your name gets, you know, brought up and... Uh, I made the list of uh, the final 16. They, they cut the list to 16, and then after 16, they cut it down to that six. That list of 16, they vote the night before the Super Bowl, and four guys would go into the Hall of Fame, so the top four vote getters. All right. So anyway, in 95, I made the final 16. I didn't get inducted. All right. The next year, I made the final 16. I didn't get inducted. By 97, I didn't make the final 16. So I thought my window of opportunity had closed and to be forever gone. And it didn't change my life. You know, I'll be the first one to tell you that being in the Hall of Fame is fantastic. And sure, it was a goal. Yeah, it was a great, a great, uh, you know, uh, piece of hang low hanging fruit that I worked my, my tail off, you know, coming back, you know, through 15 knee operations. But it did, if it didn't happen, life goes on, and guess what? You know, I got a daughter and a, a, a wife and, you know, kids to take care of. I mean, it, you know, it wasn't like I got a, you know, I could just lay down and cry. Well, the, the voter in Chicago at that time was Don Pearson, and I know you you know Don. Yep. And I'm just going to tell you the story. I mean, the, it, it's called the truth. Okay, did he do a lot to help me or whatever? Evidently not, but... All that being said, everything changed 2001. I happened to be in my uh, kitchen and the phone rang and I answered it. It was a guy named John Turney. And I'm sure you don't know him, but he, he was a guy that lived in New Mexico, Alamogordo. And, and anyway, he goes, hey, look, I, I'm not a crank. I'm not an idiot. I just want you to know that I'm a, I'm a number cruncher. And I said, what's that? And he goes, look. For instance, when Terry Bradshaw went into the Hall of Fame, I compared his stats, his numbers, with Fran Tarkington and, you know, all these other quarterbacks and see how he compares. I said, oh, really? He goes, I said, so what does that have to do with me? He goes, well, I just want you to know, I was looking at your the stats that you guys had, and he goes, 
everybody thinks the Steelers defense of the seventies was the greatest of all time. He goes, you can't believe they would be in the top 10 in pretty much everything, but like you're, the 12 years you played for the bears, the 12 years that 79 and nine, you guys were number one in every single step. I said, are you kidding me? And he goes, no, he said, I'll send you the sheet. I said, send me the damn, this is back when you had to fax things. You couldn't take a picture. <laughs> anyway, so he sent it to me. All right. And anyway, the more I looked at it, the more pissed off I got. And so I, I sent it to uh, Pearson. Now in 1982, I was voted defensive player of the year by pro football weekly. Anyway, my dear friend, Hub Arkish is, you know, father started the magazine back in the, uh, the early seventies. Anyway, the long and short of it is I was defensive player of the year. Well, guess what? Don Pearson didn't even vote for me. It was basically, you know, new England and new New York and other people that watched film and saw me playing. And so they vote. They voted for me, but my own hometown writer didn't. So why would I expect him to do anything for me as far as trying to get me into the Hall of Fame? Anyway, so I I, I, I don't want to say I was surly, but I basically sent him the, uh, the, the, the stat sheet and said, look, you know, not trying to make your job too easy, but uh, duh, you know, what's the common denominator here? And the fact that I obviously, you know, made all pros. I heard that that year when he passed out that, that sheet at the Hall of Fame balloting, that I was the first, basically they said, okay, he's in. Now let's go to the next guy. So um, I hate to say it, if this guy from New Mexico never called me, never reached out, would I be in the Hall of Fame? I don't know. I'm just saying. It's it's hard to believe, uh, you know, the the... the what would you say happenstance of the situation that changed? Well, it changed my life. I mean, I got to tell you, uh, you know, I, 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 nobody has more respect for Walter Payton than I, and to be in the same hall of fame as him, that's, that's pretty good stuff for me. There are a number of uh, players from that Bears teams in the eighties in the hall of fame, including the man you just mentioned, Walter Payton. So tell me a story. I don't know of, your first meeting him in 1979 when you were drafted by the Bears, subsequent events, and one very sad and one very triumphant one that occurred 20 years ago. When I got to Chicago, I didn't know a whole lot about it, but I was eager, eager to kind of learn about what's going on. And when you get to Chicago in, you know, 1979, guess what? Walter Payton was the story. He was... Uh, he had a book written about him at that time on a career trajectory to become the all-time leading rusher. High formation, wing to the right is McKinnon, Galt wide to the left, they send McKinnon in motion through to the left side, quick pitch to Walter, looking for the record, cuts back, he's got it, he's out of it at 25 to the 26-yard line, Walter Payton becomes the National Football League all-time leading rusher, surpassing Jim Brown on his second carry here in the second half, and that's the equivalent to Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's all-time home run record, and listen to the standing ovation. Yeah, obviously it was just a, you know, it's going to be a fait accompli just in a few years. All that being said, he was like a, a movie star, like Miami Vice, you know, 
He had the Jerry curl and sunglasses and the Lamborghini. He was like a, he was a movie star. And it was great to meet him and great to be a part of his, his world. You know, I, 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 you, you have no idea how tough his, his career path was, you know, with the, uh, the limitations of the offense and quarterbacks and different things. Then, you know, obviously it was great that he was able I'll never forget the night before the Super Bowl. Dick had basically said, all right, I'm, I'm done. I'm, all year long, I've been motivating. I've been telling you yada, 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 do this, do that. He goes, I want the captains to stand up and say what this game means. And Walter got up, and he had tears in his eyes. And he said, look, I'm in my 11th year. I think it was his 11th year. He goes, obviously, I've accomplished an awful lot. But he said, I always wanted to be a winner. I always wanted to be a winner. Well, if we win the Super Bowl tomorrow, we'll be the greatest team on the planet Earth. And I can put my head on the pillow and say, yes, but at long last, I'm a winner. And boy, I mean, it really all kind of struck a chord with all of us. I mean, it was hard to sleep that night. I'll tell you that. We were, I, was ready to, I was ready to line up <laughs> the night before the damn game. Yeah. But there, there are two significant events that occurred 20 years apart. One was his untimely and tragic passing. And 20 years later, the statue that was dedicated to him. And you were part of both of those. Yeah. I, I honestly, in some strange way, I feel kind of like part of destiny here in the sense that I got to meet him in 1979. I played nine years with him. And then after he retired, obviously we know that he had complications with bowel duct cancer. It took his life and he passed away on November 1st, 1999. So it'd be 11119999. And I remember at the time, Brian McKeskey, my dear friend, called me and said, obviously uh, they're going to do a memorial for for Walter at Soldier Field. And I said, that's fabulous. And he goes, we'd like to have a few people speak. And I said, I can't, I, I just, I, I can't do it. And the phone got real quiet. And he said, if you don't, who will? I got a little girl, she's four years old. 10 years from now, when she asked me about the Chicago Bears, I'll tell her about a championship and I'll tell her about great teams and great teammates and great coaches and how great it was to be a part of it. But the first thing I tell her about is Walter Payton. And I said, you were right. So anyway, I said, I'll be there. That was 1999 and uh, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. You know, and you were talking about as his life and legend lives on, and you were there 20 years later for the dedication of a really, really beautiful statue in front of Soldier Field. You're exactly right. After winning six championships with the Chicago Bears, George Hallis and Jim Finks decided on drafting a young man that would become the heart and soul of Hallis's final championship team. That was Walter Payton. That was great. The 100-year anniversary of the Chicago Bears they uh, commemorated it with a statue of George Hallis and a statue of Walter Payton, you know, the 
the founder and the greatest player. You know, when I was drafted, there was a blizzard. And so I couldn't come in for like two or three days. Anyway, so finally, when the airport opened up, they flew me in and then they brought me down to 55 East Jackson, which is where, you know, the old man Hallis, that's where his office was. And it was kind of like a little shabby office. And they brought me into the little office and they told me to sit down and Hallis would be in in a minute. And I was looking around and all these pictures on the wall of Jim Thorpe and Bronco McGursky. I was thinking about Al Capone at the time. I don't know why, but I was thinking about Al Capone. Anyway, so Hallis came in and we kind of, you know, Arkansas. Yeah, I, anyway, I said something like, uh, well, you guys get a lot of snow here. And, you know, Hallis wasn't one to kind of make small talk. He goes, yeah, we do. He goes, the difference between a snowman and a snow woman. And I said, no, sir. He said, snowballs, grow some and you'll be fine. And I, <laughs> and I said, yes, sir. And he got up and walked out of the room. And I, I just said, hey, welcome to Chicago. Want to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know? It's easy. Just follow me on social media, at George Offman. That's O-F-M-A-N. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please follow or subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. We resume with Dan Hampton on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. Take me back to the beginning, Dan, and before you made a name for yourself as a football player in the state of Arkansas, you suffered an injury that kept you from playing competitive sports for three years. When I was 12 years old, I had played, uh, they put me in uh, like Sertoma football. And uh, I was the biggest guy and I was the fastest guy. And they put me at running back and I'd run for like 400 yards a game and I'd run over everybody. I'd kind of like, when somebody come up to tackle me, I'd jump and put my knees into their chest and just run over them. It was I mean, it was, it was ridiculous is what it was. Anyway, I was looking forward to going to junior high and the, the junior high coach at the time was like thinking, shit, we'll put him at running back. You know, he's, he's uh six foot, 190 pounds in seventh grade. You know, here we go. Well, about two weeks before school started, I was monkeying around in a tree and I was way up high, about 35 feet off the ground. Anyway, I grabbed a branch and it broke and I fell and I hit the ground just like I'm standing up and it fractured the tibia and fibula in both of my legs, crushed my right heel and broke my left arm in three places. So I kind of woke up 
in the back of my mom's station wagon and uh, she was taking me to the doctor. And next thing I know, I've got hip cast on and now I'm in a wheelchair and I can't walk. And uh, after, let me think, I think it was almost four months because the tibia and fibia, they didn't put rods in my bones. They wanted, they didn't want to do that. They wanted it to heal me. So I, I couldn't put any weight on my legs for you know a long time. When I finally got out of the wheelchair, I had to walk with crutches. I had forgotten how to walk. And the doctor said, you're going to have a hard time getting around. And, you know, you, you know, I knew you were a football player, but forget about that. And so, I mean, you know, and then a year later, my father died of pancreatic cancer. And I kind of, you know, kind of, I, anyway, the long and short of it, I never thought about football again. Then finally, when I was uh, in 10th grade, my I was in a study hall and the football coach is eyeballing me going, you know, what, what the hell is the matter with you? You're 6'6", 240 pounds, why don't you play football? And I told him the story and he goes, who cares? You look like you can walk now, you know? So anyway, I, I, I needed to do something. So I went out for football again and truth be known, I'm kind of a violent guy. And I, I mean, it, it was perfect for me. Football was perfect for me. So it, it all worked out. In between that time, though, you took up music. You became a musician. I mean, this this coach had to convince you to leave the band. Yeah. So when I couldn't play football, my folks said something like, well, you can learn how to play saxophone. So I got my sister played clarinet, and I played saxophone in the high school band. And uh, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm getting re ready to take the field with my alto sax as the football team's coming off, getting this <laughs> shit beat out of them. Um, yeah, uh, I remember thinking, you know, dork, what am I doing? But, you know, it's funny when one door closes, another opens. Well, guess what? Over the last 50 years, I've, you know, in some abstract way, been a part of a band or music or some. You know, that was the other thing, you know, Otis Wilson and Steve McMichael and I, we, over the last 10 years, we were in a band called Chicago Six. Now, the original band, Walter Payton was the, the drummer, and Dave Dorison was in it, and then three Blackhawks and myself. Anyway, um, about 10 years ago, we put it back together, and we played about 150 shows. You know, Illinois State Fair, this place, that place, the Rib Fest in Naperville. We played all over and uh, made, made a lot of money, and we had a lot of fun. And, God, I hated it when Mongo got sick because – you know, he was a big part of the band. We hate, we hate it. Just hate it. You use the term dork and saxophone in the same sense. And I'm thinking to myself, no, 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 no. Saxophone is my favorite instrument. It is, it's a beautiful instrument to play, but that wasn't the only instrument you played. You played like a half dozen of them. And you sang as we just heard. Yeah. You know, uh, my mother was a singer on WKY radio in Oklahoma city when I was, before I was born actually. And then, she became, you know, housewife, and we moved moved to Little Rock, Arkansas. Anyway, the long and short of it is, she always could play the guitar. Well, she showed my dad how to do it. And when I was in the wheelchair, there was no video games. There was no, you know, there was no cable TV, no cell phones, nothing. And, I mean, you get bored. Well, I'm watching Hee Haw one night with 
the family. And I'm looking at Buck Owens, and no offense, Buck Owens was a great, great country performer. But he wasn't a genius. And I said, if he can learn how to play it, I thought it was like some kind of, you know, uh, it, 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 it's, it was be way too hard for me to learn how to play. Well, I said, show me. And, and, and she showed me some basic chords. The next thing you know, I, I, I basically take off and run with it. Well, then I got into the band, the high school band, and I learned how to play saxophone. Well, if you can play a sax, you can play clarinet. And if you can play guitar, you can play bass. And if you can play gu guitar, you can play piano. You can, you know, you understand the chords and the and the notes and the and the patterns. And then, uh, you know, I got into a, a bunch of kids that, you know, we had a rock band. And then, you know, they would leave their drum set at home at my house where we practiced. And so I, I, I taught myself how to play drums. So, you know, once you learn one instrument, the next ones are easy. Through all of this, of course, you, you were doing this while you were a member of the Bears, and yet you declined to be part of the still famous Super Bowl shuffle. Tell me a story I don't know. Why didn't you partake? It struck me as being so presumptuous. It's almost like, oh, yeah, well, guess what? If we had been to a Super Bowl before, okay, I could kind of believe it. But, hey, you know, we're the Bears shuffling. We're going, you know, hey, it's almost like, they think it's already happened. And I'd been around, I, I, I just knew that it's not that easy. And this started in, you know, November. We had a long way to go. Now, I'm glad they did it. And I love the fact that we had our own soundtrack. And, you know, I know all the words. When I see Fred's, I always say, looking at the fridge, I'm the rookie. I may be lost, I, I know all the words. And, 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 and yeah, you're looking at Hamp, I'm the Super Bowl champ. And I'm like, whoa, 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 we hadn't done it yet. It just, I was one of those kind of guys that show me, don't talk about it, you know? Like Benjamin Franklin said, well done is better than well said. Well, in a way, I'm glad they did it, and, and God bless them. I'm glad I wasn't a part of it. So you went on to play, as you mentioned, uh, high school and college football at Arkansas, where you were coached by the venerable and very successful Lou Holtz. Then you were coached by Mike Ditka and Buddy Ryan while with the Bears. So tell me about the three of them and how they affected your career. You got to throw Jimmy Johnson in. He was my defensive line coach my first two years. I played in a high school all-star game as an offensive lineman, and I expected to be an offensive lineman when I went to Arkansas. So I went up there, and I stood in line, and I was the last one. I was real shy at the time. And, you know, I, anyway, they said, uh, you know, we ain't got no, no gear for somebody named Hampton. Sorry. And I closed the, the window. And I'm thinking, oh, shit, they rescinded my scholarship. And then I, somebody said, go down and check on the defense. So I went down to the other window where the defense was, and they said, yeah, here's your stuff. 
So Jimmy Johnson saw me in the high school all-star game and said, I want him on defense. And so when I got to Arkansas, he, he basically kind of groomed me. And there went. Otherwise, I'd have probably been an offensive lineman. And the long and short of it is, uh, Jimmy was there. He was a great coach. Great, great, great. He should have been the head coach when Burles retired. Anyway, he gave it to Holtz, and, I, and, and everything was great with Holtz. I'm just saying Jimmy deserved it. Did you know General Motors 2021 Supplier of the Year is located in Hillside, Illinois? Dynamic Manufacturing not only remanufactures transmissions for the likes of GM, but also as a state-of-the-art facility. Its capabilities include engineering new or existing products, along with manufacturing, machining, logistics, and re-energizing used batteries for electric cars and energy storage systems. I've seen their operation firsthand, and their nearly 1 million square feet of operating space is extremely impressive. Dynamic was founded by the late, great John Partipillo in 1955 and is still family-owned and operated by the next generation. For more information about Dynamic Manufacturing, visit their website at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. Dynamic Manufacturing. Honor the legacy. Pioneer the future. Well, then there's Ditka and Ryan, two coaches that didn't like one another, but coexisted. Buddy, we wrote Hallis a letter. Everybody probably knows the story. We wrote Hallis a letter basically stating that, uh, you know, even though the team was going to hell in a handbasket, guess what? The defense, we started off back then, it was 38, 28 teams in the league. Back then, we started out like 26th in the league. Now we're in like third. All the while, we're losing games, but the defense is playing our ass off. And Fincic had the idea, and he wrote it, typed it, basically stating, hey, guess what, Mr. Hallis, you, you have the r- r- right to do anything you want to. It's your team. But understand this. We are r- way down the road with Buddy being something special. Give us the chance to finish it. And we all, you know, signed it. Fancy dropped it off at 55 East Jackson, you know, his little office on Monday night. Well, Wednesday, it was the last game of the year. And so we came to work Wednesday morning and there's a buzz. You can tell something's going on. And uh, so we go into the meeting room and, you know, everybody's acting weird. And uh, Neil Armstrong, who is a fine, wonderful man, he just, lost control of the team, especially the offense. They were horseshit. Neil gets up and goes, uh, uh, all right, all right, man. Uh, our uh, owner, Mr. Hallis, is here, and he wants to say a few words. And the door opens, and here comes George Hallis in. At the time, you know, he had a big overcoat. It was like late December. And he comes in, and he goes, all you coaches, take a hike. So coaches, they leave the room, and I like that because, you know, he's, I like somebody bossing people around. I like it. He pulls out that letter, and he goes, you know, when I started this league 60-something years ago, I had in my heart a deep fundamental belief that someday I could find players that cared enough and cared enough about the game and playing for the Chicago Bears where it meant something more than a paycheck. And he goes, I read this letter and how much you care about your coaches, Buddy Ryan and Dale Hopp and Jim LaRue. 
And he started crying. And then we kind of started crying. You know, we we're like, wow. Anyway, uh, he goes, so I'm going to re-sign Buddy Ryan with a brand new contract yeah, with a you know, substantial raise for uh, the three-year renewal, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, it, basically, Hallis is saying, okay, I don't know all the answers, but I'm going to kind of defer to my players. Obviously, you guys care and you know something here. So I'm going to say, okay. The other part was there's a bunch of guys that uh, basically had been given the, uh, you know, the boot, all the offensive coaches. And I, you know, I told Hilgenberg and Thayer and those guys over there, I said, see, if you guys would have cared and you would have played your ass off for them, you wouldn't have, you could have stood up for them too, you know, but they didn't. And I was, and again, forever and a day, a lot of people have tried to take credit for it, but it was Gary Fenson that came up with the idea. And it was amazing. Guess what? 85 would have never happened without Buddy Ryan and Dale Hop and Jim LaRue, you know, the assistants. So I hate to say, you know, it's kind of like fate was at hand so many different times. It was just an amazing time. With all that said, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this question. Did you like Mike Ditka? Love Mike Ditka. See, Ditka was hired after Buddy was. So Buddy basically said, screw you, you're not my boss. And, 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 and so that pissed Dick off. I have great respect for Buddy, I always did. Uh, Buddy probably felt he deserved the Bears job when I got it. And that, that probably created some of the problems. And Buddy was his own man and he coached the defense and I'd really interfere with the defense. He was a great defensive coach. I had that, and, and no qualms there. But I said, well, why don't you try doing this? He said, get the hell out of here. So it didn't matter. That's the way Buddy was. And anyway, at the end of the day, it worked. You know, how many Super Bowls did either one of them win after they were apart? None. So anyway, at the end of the day, it was a dysfunctional but functional situation. But Ditko, Ditko was fabulous for us. Buddy was a genius. Buddy was an amazing coach and how he would in, engender loyalty to him. Um, and I remember I said, you know, buddy, you had the number one defense in Minnesota when he was uh, defensive line coach up there, the purple people leaders, you know, with Ellen. Then in Chicago, he had number one. Then when he went to Philadelphia, he had the number one defense. Then after he got relieved in Philadelphia, he had the number one defense in Houston for one year under Jeff Fisher. He went for one year and they had the number one. It's hard to believe. But I said, what was your best coaching job? And he thought about it a little bit. And he said, Korea. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I was a master sergeant when I was 19 years old. And they put, shipped me out to Korea. And I had 20 kids under me. And he goes, I had them out there for almost 11 months. And I brought all 20 back. He said, that was my best coaching job. We all have to endure adversity from time to time. You did so during and after your career, as you mentioned, you had 15 knee surgeries. You also had three DUI arrests in six years. I'm sure that that had to be embarrassing for you and your family and many fans. How are you dealing with that today? Well, first of all, not really happy that you bring that up, George. Obviously, everybody has certain paths in life. Everybody has certain, you know, choices. And I made a lot of good choices. Well, guess what? I've made some bad ones. And that was obviously a very bad one. But 
at the end of the day, you can't sit and dwell on mistakes. You have to think about paying a price, taking your medicine, but moving on and trying to be a better person and eliminating those types of bad mistakes and bad decisions. And that's enough said. Of the many things that you have done after your career, broadcasting is right up there. You're an analyst, you were on NBC. You've been a co-host of Pro Football Weekly now for some 20 years. And a few years ago, you were paired with another expert, Ed Obradovich, to do the pre and post game show on WGN radio. For those who don't know OB as he's known around here, he was a member of the 1963 Bears NFL championship team. And for many years, was paired with his teammate, Doug Buffon on WSCR, the score to do a similar show. And it was wildly popular. Their passion spilled over every time they spoke. It's hard to emulate something like that, but you and OB have done a pretty good job of that. And for the same reason, passion. It's, it's hard to get it out of your system. If you played for the Bears for any length of time, you realize, uh, you know, it's a, it was a great gig and, you know, to be a part of it was uh, something pretty special. Well, both OB and I feel the same way. Now, when my dear friend who I played with Doug, when Doug passed away, I told OB on the steps of the church at his funeral, I said, well, you got three choices. Now that Doug's gone, you can retire and everybody would say, hey, you had a great run. I said, you can go back uh, and get paired with somebody else, which I don't think you, you would like that. Or I said, you can come to WGM with me and we could do the show. Because I was doing the pregame with Hub Arkus and he and uh, OB and, and Doug would, was doing the postgame. So it wasn't like a bridge too far. And to his credit, he made wonderful choice. I am so aggravated that a team could come in like this and take a victory away from us because of a stupid, gutless coach. Flabbergasted is the word, OB. Hey, you know what? And I said this during the game, Mark Carmen. I said, you know what? This is an embarrassment to pro football. For the first time in a decade, I'm excited about the Bears. I'm, I, I like the team. I like the coach. You're also part of the uh, the Miller Light and the Gridiron promotions that raises funds for the retired NFL players. And there's also one for the kids. It's an annual golf tournament. You have your hands in a lot of pies, Dan. My lovely wife is uh, a big supporter of one for the kids. They do a great job. Uh, all the other stuff. I mean, my goodness, we've been so fortunate to be a part of this legacy of, you know, being a part of the Chicago Bears. Uh, I would have played for nothing. I mean, it was great. I love being a part of that team. I love what I was able to do and to give back. That's, that's, that's just a small, small little part of it. I asked this final question to all my guests. If not for football, what would you have been? I would have played music. I would have done that when it's all said and done to look back and say, wow, I was there, I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. It's an amazing, amazing tapestry of times and places that I was able to be a part of. And, you know, I'm glad I, I was able to play the game of football. 
football owes me nothing. The Bears owe me nothing. I owe everything to them. And I'm just one of those, I hate to say, a, a, a happy survivor. It was a great, great time. Well, keep watching those Bears, Dan, and maybe one day soon, you and OB's blood pressure will subside. Thank you, Dan Hampton, for telling me a story I don't know. Thank you, George. God bless you. My thanks to NBC Sports Chicago, WGN Radio, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, NBC Sports, ABC Sports, WBBM Radio, the Chicago Six Band, and hee-haw for those marvelous highlights. And my thanks as always to the people behind the scenes that helped make this wonderful podcast possible. T.J. Reeves for putting us on the map, Will Hatzel for his crafty editing, and Nick Tochi for our wonderful graphics. Tune in next week when we feature another intriguing guest on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.